wonderful. We give God praise tonight. We thank the Lord for his graciousness toward us. And we thank him for the blessedness of being able to fellowship together in his word. Hallelujah. It is always a joy to learn of the truths of God's word, to know God accurately through his word so that we can have fellowship with him. Amen and amen. And that is what our gatherings are for. Scripture is for study. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says that make disciples of the nations. Hallelujah. That requires, you know, teaching and training to make disciples. Hallelujah. It requires teaching and training. Patient, meticulous, intentional teaching and training with the word of God. Hallelujah. And that is what we intend to do because the goal is that we would all be strong disciples of Christ and ministers of Christ too. Hallelujah. Each one of us, having been trained, can be able to fulfill the work of the ministry that is given unto us. That is the goal of um, the commission that as a pastor I have received in the Lord. Amen and amen. So when we gather like this, is no joke, as you've heard me say. We are not just here to make ourselves feel good. Hallelujah. We are here to learn of Christ so that we can share him with the world out there. Amen and amen. Last week, we began an in-depth study into the book of Romans, uh, learning what the book is all about and the message of Christ, which Paul details in the book of Romans for us. We did a quick overview, and we began uh, from Romans chapter number one. Um, we actually got to verses one and two, and we got to verse three. We touched on a few things in verse three, and uh, we stopped there. Today, we are going to continue right from there. Just for a quick recap, we mentioned that Paul, right from the beginning, identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets unto in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. We said that this gospel of God is really is the gospel. That is, sometimes you hear Paul refer to it as the gospel of God. Sometimes you say, my gospel. Sometimes the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is the same thing. That is the message concerning what God will do and has done in Christ for us. Hallelujah. God promised this afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, that should tell you something. It means that Genesis to Malachi, when it was written or inspired to be written by the Holy Ghost, it was specifically done so to carry the message of Christ, the message concerning who Jesus is and what God will do in him as it pertains to salvation of men. Hallelujah. That is the entire trust of the scriptures. Hallelujah. So those things were not just written down to give us a historical overview. For example, Moses was not in the garden. Amen and amen. He was not there in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, when Adam and, and, and Eve were there, when Cain and Abel, when Abraham and Noah and all. Moses was not there, but he wrote about them. 
How and why did Moses write those things? Like I mentioned, it was not meant to just give us a historical overview of the things that happened. There was oral tradition, oral history, hallelujah, of the lives of all these men, of the beginning of the world, of the creation of the world. It was common oral history amongst the Jews at that time. They had that knowledge. But when Moses was writing, he had a particular and specific reason in mind. So he chose the stories that he chose and the events that he chose specifically because they communicate a particular message. Amen and amen. When you read Genesis chapter number one, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Moses goes on to say, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. What was he trying to do? What was Moses trying to communicate? Everything Moses wrote, there was a reason behind it. That is why when John comes and picks up what Moses wrote in Genesis 1, he begins in John 1 and says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Hallelujah. In the beginning was the Logos. What is Logos? The reason, the intent. Hallelujah. Before anybody does anything, before anybody writes anything, he has a Logos in mind. He has a reason in mind. Moses had the Logos in mind. What is the reason? The reason of God is Christ. So Moses had Christ in mind when he was writing. So he chose the specific events he reported to us, not just because they are beautiful and nice stories, no, because they communicate truths about who Jesus is and his work that God would accomplish through him for the salvation of mankind. That is why Jesus could boldly say when he came, he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But these scriptures testify of me. All of the scriptures bear testimony of Jesus. Why? He is the reason behind the writing. Hallelujah. Just as Paul here reveals to us, which God had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the writings of the prophets, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, hallelujah, all of them, they carried a singular message, Christ and what God would do in them for the salvation of mankind. So Paul said to Timothy, how that you have known the Scriptures, which is able to make you wise unto salvation. You understand? The scriptures are to make you wise, give you wisdom in the matters of salvation. Hallelujah. So you must see the golden thread of Jesus and his work throughout the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures. Hallelujah. Listen, there are so many things that happen in the life of Abraham. And there's oral history among the Jews for that. Moses knew them. Moses was not simply reporting history for us. He chose the specific event he reported about because those events portray or reveal an aspect of the work of Christ. For example, the Israelites going to Egypt and God sending him to deliver them out of Egypt. What was it typifying? It was typifying how... Man was in sin and death under the dominion of darkness and God sending his son Jesus 
to come and redeem us from death and darkness. Hallelujah. The whole story of the Israelites in Egypt, coming out of Egypt, going through the Red Sea, hallelujah, and coming out into the promised land, they typified, they pointed to something. The law, the prophets, their writings, it pointed to someone. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. So it matters that you have this fundamental understanding when it comes to the scriptures so that you approach it properly. Amen and amen. Scripture is about Christ, the message of Christ. So when we gather to learn, the church is for teaching about Jesus. And we'll see that as we move on today. When we gather, we teach men about Jesus. We preach about Jesus. We train men in Christ to know the message of God so that they can also share it abroad. Hallelujah. As I mentioned, Right in verse 1, Paul identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, a servant of Jesus, that means born servant. We said, dwellers, born servant of Jesus Christ. Willingly bonded to Christ for the sake of the gospel. Being an apostle means that Paul had the story of Christ. He knew the story of Christ. He also had the message of Christ. And he also had the Christ himself. You understand that? He knew the story of Jesus. That is the historical story of Jesus. Amen and amen. And then he also had the message of Christ. And he had Christ himself. Let's see um, um, evidence of that. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 1. Remember, in this index study, we are heavily dealing with scripture. So you'd have to go with me, follow me, open your Bibles. And go with me into the scriptures, write them down, and revisit them again. First Corinthians chapter number two, verse one. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus and him crucified. The testimony of God is Christ and him crucified. The Bible says that, and this is the record, or and this is the testimony. God had given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Paul is saying, when I came to you, this is what I had is what I gave you. Paul says, I chose to know nothing. I determined to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul was a well-learned, he was a very learned man. He studied under Gamaliel. He knew so many things, so many subjects. He was a lawyer. But Paul says that, I came to you not with excellency of speech. When we say excellency of speech, you know, and, and wisdom, the wisdom here is not the wisdom of God. You know, rhymings and nice words that appear wise. You must aspire to require to retire. You understand those things? You know, things that sound nice and appear as if a man is so wise. Paul says, I chose not to use, I chose to know none of those things. That is why I always contend that those things are not things the believer grows on. Amen and amen. He did not come with excellency of, of speech, nor of wisdom. He put those things aside. He says, I determined to know nothing. But Jesus Christ and him crucified, because that is the message. 
remember we said as an apostle, he had Christ himself. He had the message of Christ and he had the story of Christ. And that was the only thing Paul communicated in his preaching and in his teaching. He stuck to that. And we also, as we are being trained to be ministers of God, everywhere we go preaching the gospel, we must stick to that. That is why as a pastor, I try not to dabble in other things. It is totally unnecessary. We are determined to know nothing. I'm a well-read man. Hallelujah. I've read so many things, so many subjects. Commerce, uh, science, name it. Philosophy, name it. I've read those things. But when it, when it comes to you know, the church and the training of believers and the message we preach, we don't bring these thoughts into the message. The message is Christ and him crucified. We teach Jesus. Hallelujah. That is the essence of the church. That is our forte. That is what we focus on. Amen and amen. And I would admonish you also, as you are being trained to be a minister of the Lord, let that be your focus. And as a believer, let that be your focus. Don't be driven away into all these other things. Because that is not what will grow you spiritually. The church is not for teaching success principles. Am I saying those things are no good? No, they are good, but that is not what the church is for. You understand? The church is not for teaching you how to make it in life. That is not what the church is for. The church is for teaching about Jesus and his work he has accomplished. God has accomplished in him for us. That is the message. So Paul says, I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 22. Paul says, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. He says that the Jews, and in those days, the two groups of people that Paul was actually dealing with every day are the Jews and the Greeks. Paul says the Jews, what they want is a sign. They want miracles. That's what they want. Jesus said of them, a wicked and a perverse generation seeketh after a sign, but no sign shall be given them except the sign of Jonah. Hallelujah. They wanted signs. They wanted miracles. They were, that's what they were always looking for. The Greeks wanted wisdom, philosophy. Hallelujah. That is philosophies of men. You understand? That's what they wanted. And you've seen a lot of that's motivations and those kinds of things. That's what they wanted. That's what the Greeks wanted. They always gather to hear something new, something innovative, something that appears wise. That's what they wanted. But Paul says, we did not innovate the gospel to suit their needs. We were not moved by these things these people wanted. Despite the fact that that is what they sought after, we preached Christ and him crucified. He says, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Though they considered it foolish and it was a stumbling block to them, that is what we preached. That is what we taught. That is what we start to. And sad to say in our generation, we always want to be seeker-friendly. We ask ourselves, you know, there are so many seeker-friendly churches now. 
what they do is they ask themselves, you know, what do people want to hear? You know, people, this is what this is what we do. So they'll make a survey, go around the community, ask people, what do you want in a church? What kind of message do you want to hear? And they'll they will try and craft their messages to suit what the people want. I say in the last days they will keep up preachers who tell them what they want. Listen, as believers and as ministers of the of the Lord, we preach Christ and Him crucified. Nothing more, nothing less. That is what we are called. The Bible says we are made able ministers of the new covenant. That is what we preach. And the new covenant is made possible by Christ and Him crucified. That message and what it means for you as a believer, that is what we preach. Amen and amen. Whether people want to hear, whether people don't want to hear, whether we gather crowds or we don't gather crowds, that is the message committed to us, and that is what we preach. That is the purpose of the ministry. You can choose to do other things. Don't call it the ministry of Christ. If it is the ministry of Christ, it must have the story of Christ, the message of Christ, and Christ himself, these three things, and that's it. Hallelujah. It's not a business seminar. It is not a success gathering. Amen and amen. Those are not the goals of our faith. Listen, in business and commerce, business and commerce thrives by innovation, you know, but faith is based on tradition, the tradition of the scriptures. You don't innovate in the faith. Hallelujah. The message Christ brought, that is what the disciples preached, and that is what we must continue to preach. So the Bible says, contend endlessly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto you. We don't change it. We don't modify it. We don't innovate it. We don't try and craft it to suit people's needs and what people want. No, we are not seeker-friendly. As many as were here, were here. Just like Paul, the Greeks wanted wisdom. The Jews wanted signs. But he says, but we preach Christ and him crucified. So if, that is, if Christ is what you want, you will listen to us. And the church must be strong in that. We must have the resolve to preach Christ and him only. Hallelujah. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse 5. Paul says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. He says, we preach not ourselves. That means that, you see, even in the message, you are not there. It is not for your glory. It is not for your elevation. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That is why, you see, when we come to church, we must not be focused on, you know, um, personal experiences as messages for people. The message the believer grows on, his spirit is matured on, is the message of Christ. Hallelujah. We preach not ourselves. We preach Christ and him crucified. Amen and amen. Look at Colossians chapter number 1, verse 28 to 29. Paul says, Him, talking about Jesus, we preach. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. You see it? Him we preach, warning and teaching every man in all wisdom. What wisdom is this? This is the wisdom of Christ, not the wisdom of the world. 
that the Greeks were seeking. Him we preach. You see, in all of Paul's writings, because he had the story of Christ, he had the message of Christ, and he had Christ himself. And in all of Paul's writings, you see that this is what he presents. Nothing more, nothing less. Hallelujah. Christ and him crucified, and what that means for you as a believer. And that is what Paul painstakingly explains. And in the rest of the book of Romans, really that is what he presents because that is the gospel. That is the presentation Paul puts forth by explaining, explaining, hallelujah. There's him we preach, warning and teaching every man. Hallelujah. The word warning there is admonishing and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Your perfection in Christ comes through understanding the message of Christ. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ there is the message of Christ. There are many believers, they have not yet known the message of Christ. Hallelujah. They don't know. They use the Bible for so many other things. But what really it is for, they've not yet known. Amen and amen. We must be renewed in our thinking. And it begins especially from us, the pastors, what we teach. And as a believer, your heart must seek after this. Don't be like the Jews seeking after signs. Today they are chasing a miracle, yet tomorrow they are looking for this, yet tomorrow they are looking for that day. Don't be like the Greeks. The Greeks seek wisdom. You know, there are some people, that's what they want. You know, tell me, you know, how I can succeed in life. You know, success principles, 21 steps to this, 15 steps to that. Do you see Paul teaching those kinds of things? No, because that is not the purpose of the church. That is not the purpose of the ministry. That is not the purpose of the apostleship he received of Christ. Hallelujah. And it is the same for us. Amen and amen. Whether we are young, whether we are children, whether we are old, the message is the same. Teach your children Christ and Him crucified and what that means to them. Amen and amen. The youth in the church, they must be taught this truth. The fact that they are youth does not mean that we should engage them in things that are simply fun. You know, that's one of the problems in the world. Most youth ministries, they feel like, oh, you know what, youth always want to have fun. I call something the fun syndrome. So everything they want to make it fun. So they want to inculcate things and bring things and this and this. And, oh, it's so boring. Ah, what do you mean by going through the scripture step by step and say it's boring? You know, it's so boring. No. <laughs> do you know the disciples, the, the apostles, the early apostles, they were all young men? 19, 18, 17. Timothy was a very, a, a very young man, probably in his early 20s, when he was pastoring the church that Paul had established. Hallelujah. But these were men who were in the word of God. In the word. Hallelujah. So even so, as pastors and believers who are being trained for the work of the ministry, we must have the Christ story. We must have the Christ message. And we must have Christ himself. Now look at, let's continue from verse 3. He says, concerning his son Jesus. The message through the entire scriptures concerns Jesus Christ. That means he is the subject matter. The subject matter is not David, Abraham, Moses. No, the subject matter is Christ. All these people, their stories that are put there 
specifically chosen because they communicate something about Jesus and the work that he would come to accomplish. And indeed, he came and accomplished it. The prophecies, the promises of the prophets, they all point to Christ Jesus. He is the subject matter. He says, concerning his son Jesus, our Lord, he is the subject matter. And he says, he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, this is very important because that fulfills prophecy. In John 7, verse 42, you know, there was contention about who Jesus was. And people were wondering who he really was because he was doing miracles. And, you know, God had attested to uh, who he really was by the miracles and signs and wonders that he was doing. And, you know, how strong his teaching was. And people wondered about that. Now listen to what they said in John 7, 42. He said, had not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David? That means that Christ will be of the seed of David. He would be of the lineage of David. And out of Bethlehem, where David was. Second Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Hallelujah. So Jesus was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. According to the flesh. Amen and amen. He came out of the lineage of David. Now, the fact that he came out of the lineage of David does not mean that he is the son of David. You know, many people uh, in, in, this, in the gospel, you see people refer to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Hallelujah. But that rendering son of David, have mercy on me, or referring to Christ as son of David, has to do with the flesh. Listen to what David himself said in Psalm 132, verse 11. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Now, the Pharisees and the Jews, because they had eyes they could not see, and ears they could not hear, that means they lacked understanding. When they read, read these scriptures, they thought that just as David was, that was how the Messiah was going to be. He was going to be a king and a political ruler for Israel. But David here was being used as a typology of the glorified Christ because the city of David was Zion. Hallelujah. And how that Christ Jesus will rule supreme in authority and reign supreme in authority over Zion, spiritual Zion which is the city of the living God, the church. Amen and amen. Not sit upon the throne of David as in um, the, a, be a king in Israel, ruling from Israel as people, as they were thinking. So when Jesus came and was not fighting the Romans and, and delivering them from the hands of the Romans, they thought, how can he really be the Messiah? They were looking for a political leader because they were thinking according to the flesh. But that is not who Jesus is. Look at Isaiah 11.1. 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So Jesus, as to the flesh, came out of the lineage of David. This is what Jesus says in Mark 12.35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that the Christ is the son of David? Jesus said, why do the scribes say that, the, the, that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. 
David therefore himself called him Lord. And whence is he then his son? <laughs> you see it. How can somebody David is calling Lord be his son? It was simply because he was made the seed of David according to the flesh. He was made that was according to the flesh. But Christ was much more than that. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The throne of Christ was the heavenly throne, not the earthly throne of David. That was just a type that was foreshadowing the real throne of Christ, the rulership of Christ. Hallelujah. Now, look at this. In verse 4, it says that, as to the flesh was made the seed of David, but as to the spirit, look at what it says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Jesus was declared, that is horizon in the Greek, that is to mark out. Jesus was marked out, distinguished, set apart. Hallelujah. To be the son of God with power, that is dunamis, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, at the heart of our faith is the resurrection. If you take the resurrection away, there is no Christianity. In the resurrection, God demonstrated the greatness of his power. All of God's power was brought to bear in the resurrection. There is no act of God in this world that brought to bear all of his power than the resurrection. That is why I say, if you understand the reality of the resurrection, you would know that the believer who has been born from death into life can no way go back. It's not possible. Hallelujah. Declared, marked out, distinguished, as the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness. What is the Spirit of Holiness here? It's the Holy Spirit. By using the Spirit of Holiness here to show or demonstrate the uniqueness of who Jesus was. Hallelujah. Now, look at Ephesians chapter number 1, verse 19 to 20. Let's see the demonstration of God's power in the resurrection. Ephesians chapter number 1, 19 to 20. And what the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. You see, he set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Hallelujah. That is the place of all power and authority. This is the seat, the throne that Christ sits upon. The exceeding greatness. There is no, the most powerful scripture, when I say powerful scripture, the scripture that contains the revelation of God's power is Ephesians chapter number 1, verse 19 to 20. That is the only scripture that it contains more, if I may say, of the revelation of God's power than any other scripture. It says, the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He took the mighty power, the exceeding greatness of God's power to raise Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand 
in heavenly places. That is why anybody who, like Christ, is raised from the dead and made to sit together with Christ in heavenly places, there is no turning back. That act cannot be revoked. You can't go back on it because it will take a greater power than that exceeding great power to do that. I don't think there's any power in the world that can undo the great power of God that has made this possible. Hallelujah. And the truth is that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we also who have believed have been raised together with him and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. Amen and amen. So you see, in the resurrection, we are just like him. So first in Romans 8, 29, it says, For whom he did for know, he also did predestinate. That is proorizo in the Greek. That is to determine in advance. He also predestinate to be conformed. That is sumorphos in the Greek. Fashioned like unto, jointly formed, to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God determined in advance those of us he knew, those he foreknew would come to believe in Jesus. He predetermined that we would be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What he's talking about here is the resurrection. That we also, just like Christ, we bear the same image of Christ in the resurrection, or let me say after the resurrection, who Jesus is after he was raised from the dead, that is who we are. We are in his likeness. The word image there is icon. Icon means likeness. That he might be the firstborn. Firstborn there is prototokos. That means that he has preeminence. He's foremost in time, place, order, and importance. He has preeminence amongst the brethren. Who are the brethren? That is you and I, because we are like unto him. We have been made like unto the Christ. That is why I say you are Christ to your world. We are Christ to our world. We are like unto him. So it's not a shame to call us brethren. Hallelujah. We've been made like unto him in the resurrection, sharing in the same authority, sharing in the same power. So the Bible says that we are joined as with Christ. Hallelujah. This is the truth that is at the heart of our faith. Amen and amen. Just as the spirit of he was declared to be the son of God with power, we also have been declared to be sons of God with power by the spirit of holiness. We have been set apart to be unique. Hallelujah. We see that, oh Jesus, in Christ. That Christ Jesus was preeminent amongst the brethren. That is why anytime we gather, Jesus must have preeminence among us. We don't gather unto a man. We don't gather for the glory of any man. Jesus must always have preeminence. He must always have first place among us. Hallelujah. And that is what prototokos means. And it means also that we are after his likeness. I've, I've explained what prototokos is. Um, you know, when I, I always use this analogy, when iPhone or Android, Samsung, they come up with a new iPhone, say iPhone or Samsung S35. 
when they release it, they have a protocols that is one that they show to everybody and use it as a demonstration to tell you what this phone can do. And by the time they finish telling you what that phone can do, they're trying to tell you every other Samsung S35 they are going to produce can do the same thing this protocols they are showing, the prototype they are showing you can do. Hallelujah. So they must produce. In the same way, when Jesus rose from the grave, he was the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. Hallelujah. And we in like manner follow, follow suit. We are in his likeness. The same authority he has, we share in the same. We are joint heirs with him. That same power, we share in it. Hallelujah. We are ruling and reigning with him now. Hallelujah. You understand? We are Christ to our world. So the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. If you know this, you will not want to be a Daniel. You will not want to be a David. You will not be looking forward to being a Moses or an Abraham. You are Christ to your world. Hallelujah. That is why the Bible says concerning all these men. He says that the day without us should not be made perfect. You understand that? That they, we have it better than they did. They looked forward to this reality. Even the angels, the book of Hebrews says, they longed to look into these things. Sorry, the book of Peter. They longed to look into these things. Hallelujah. But we have the truth. We have the reality now. Amen and amen. We are Christ to our world. We are after his likeness in the resurrection. We have been made. We have been conformed to the image of Christ. Hallelujah. The born again experience is not a joke. When we say a man is born again, we are not joking, no. When we say a man is born again, we don't mean that, oh, he just heard the gospel and said, oh, yes, I believe. No. We are talking about a spiritual act that has taken place that cannot be reversed. It has permanently changed your position from death to life. It has raised you to sit together with him in heavenly places. You are sharing in the authority of Christ, ruling and reigning with him. That's what the Bible says, that but they that receive abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. But you see, the focus here is that that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. That is, he must have preeminence. We are a fraternity of priests. Jesus is the high priest. He must have preeminence. That is why we call on his name. We glorify his name. Everything we do is for the glory of Christ, not for the glory of man. When you go anywhere and it is the glory of man, walk away. And even the spirit of truth, the Bible says when he comes, he will not speak of himself. He will speak of Christ. If the spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost is truly at work, Christ is exalted. Anywhere you go, where it seems like a spirit, some type of spirit is at work, working wonders and miracles and doing whatever, and Christ Jesus is not glorified. It is not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost glorifies Christ, not man. The Holy Ghost glorifies Christ, not anything. Hallelujah. Keep that in mind. We are after his likeness in the resurrection. In the resurrection, God demonstrated the greatness of his power. He brought all of his power to bear. So that act can never be reversed. 
It is irrevocable. So the man that has crossed from death to life, the believer, there is absolutely no way he can go back. You see why we say once saved, forever saved? We don't say it as a mantra that sounds nice to make us feel good about ourselves. No. It is from the evidence of the scriptures. Hallelujah. As we are learning today. It is from the evidence of scriptures. There is no man that crosses from death to life that God's great power crosses him over. That can go back. It's not possible. Absolutely not possible. It would take a greater power than God's power to bring you back. And God has determined to keep you in the new place where you are. The Bible says we are kept by the power of God through faith. That is God's own determination that he will keep you there. He's not the one to send you back. No. So the question is, what power can overcome the power of God to take you back? Absolutely nothing. So you understand why we say once saved, forever saved. We did not just sit down and come up with it in our minds. It is from the explanation of scripture. Hallelujah. When you understand scripture, you would understand the heart of God for the believer. Amen and amen. Let's continue here. In verse 5, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, by whom, still speaking of Jesus, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith amongst all nations for his name. By whom we have received grace. Now, this means that grace was given by Jesus and came through his complete work. It was by Christ's complete work that we received grace. And he himself is the giver of grace. And also, the apostleship. Paul is identifying that he received the apostleship by Christ. It is the Lord Jesus that commissioned him to be an apostle. He received the apostleship from Jesus. Hallelujah. John 1.16 says, And of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. Of Christ's fullness, because he himself is the manifestation of grace. Hallelujah. The Bible says, The grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared unto all men. Who brought salvation? Jesus Christ. The, the grace of God is bringing salvation. Who is the grace of God? Jesus. Of his fullness have we received grace upon grace. Christ is full of what? Grace, because he is grace himself. Of that fullness, we have received grace upon grace. What does it mean? A constant overflowing gift. When you, when you, when you see that phrase, grace upon grace, it mean, or mercy upon mercy, or anything like it means it is something that is a constant overflowing, a continual giving. Jesus is always pouring grace upon us. He is always pour Every day, he is pouring. Every minute, he is pouring. That's what the Bible says. Where sin abounds, grace much more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Grace much more. Because Jesus is always pouring his grace. It is a constant overflowing gift. Every day his grace, he's pouring it. He's pouring it in superabundant measure. Every day. Every day. Hallelujah. What is grace? Um. What is grace? Simply being given what you don't deserve. Every sin of Christ you don't deserve. 
but he has freely given to you. That is why I find it, you know, hard. I just do not understand how believers come to the place in their life where their relationship with God is transactional. And I really don't blame them. It's because of the kind of messages they hear. People who teach from a law perspective and make their relationship with God transactional. Oh, if I want something from God, I must do this. If I do this, then God will do this for me. If I do that, then God will do this. As for God, you must corner him small. If I do this, then God will do that. No. Hallelujah. (laughs) If only you knew the heart of God for you, you'll be ashamed of that kind of thinking. Of his fullness, we have received grace, grace in the apostleship. It is Jesus who calls us into the ministry. Not only the apostleship, the pastorship, being a prophet, hallelujah, being an evangelist, it is Jesus who appoints. Remember, I told you, the Bible says that there are diversities of gifts by the same spirit. There are differences of offices or administration by the same Lord. It is Jesus that appoints into the office. And in like manner, he appointed Paul into the apostleship. He says, why did Jesus appoint him into the apostleship? For obedience to the faith. You see, so the purpose of ministry is to engender obedience to the faith. What is obedience to the faith? Hallelujah. What is obedience to the faith? It simply means, obedience comes from the Greek word, hupakoi. Hupakoi, that means attentive hearkening. Some of the Greek words is very difficult to, to mention. them, But hupakoi means attentive hearkening. Faith is pistis, which is persuasion. Contextually, in this verse, it, it is referring to the message of what God has done in Christ for us. That is simply the gospel. So Paul is saying the reason we are given the apostleship or called into ministry is to engender attentive hearkening to the message of Christ. That is the message of the gospel. Then men would, we would preach the message so that men would come to believe. That is engendering obedience to the faith among the nations for his name. That is, when he says for his name, that means for his glory. You see, so we don't build church for our own glory. We don't do ministry for our own glory. It is for his name's sake, for Christ's glory. Hallelujah. We don't embark on evangelism. We don't do prophetic meetings. We don't do the things we do in church for our glory, for our fame, for our economic advantage. We do the work of the ministry for his name. For his glory. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. And not only the apostleship, every other appointment in, into ministry is for the obedience to the faith among the nations. That men would hearken attentively to the message of Christ. That is the gospel. So how can men hearken attentively to the message of Christ if we don't preach the message of Christ or teach the message of Christ? If we are busy teaching and preaching other things, how can we engender obedience to the faith? Amen and amen. We cannot. That means that at the heart of this is the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And you know, let me tell you this. The gospel is not for sinners. There are believers who think the gospel is just for sinners. You know, you preach the gospel to sinners, they get saved. And once they get saved, they start going helter-skelter. They start going into other things. The gospel is the totality of the message of Christ. It is for the sinner and it is for the believer. 
after you are saved, you must hear the gospel. Because in the gospel, you will see who you are in Christ. It's a complete message. That is why Paul, in teaching the believers, he taught them the gospel. He's explaining what the gospel really is. The entire book of Romans, as the other epistles, that is what Paul is doing. So the gospel is not for sinners. And then believers go on to other messages. What other message are you going on to? And sadly enough, that's all success principles, how to make it in life, how to do this, business endeavors, blah, blah, blah. These things are good, but it is not the message for the believer. The believer grows on the message of Jesus. The believer matures on the message of Jesus. Hallelujah. Paul says, him we preach. Remember, we have the story of Christ, the message of Christ and Christ himself. Now look at verse 6 as we bring our message to a close. Our time is up. He says, verse 6 says, Romans 1, 6, among whom, he's talking about the nations, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. This is very important. He's referring to the believers as the called of Jesus. The called, that phrase, the called, comes from the Greek word, kletos. It means invited, appointed, specifically saints. We are the called of Jesus. That means we are the people who have been invited by the gospel. The people who have been appointed by the gospel to be Christ. That is, to belong to Christ. Through the gospel, we have come to belong to Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Therefore, we are saints. The called of Jesus. That is, saints of Jesus Christ. We are his ecclesia. Remember Jesus said, I will build my church. That is, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of God will not prevail against it. And it did so in the three days, on the third day when he rose from the, from the grave. Hallelujah. The body of Christ. We collectively as, as, as believers, we are saints of Jesus. We are the called of Jesus. Hallelujah. We belong to him. Amen and amen. Now, then he says, all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. Do you see it? The call of Jesus is called saints. Hallelujah. So when we talk about the saints, the word saints comes from the Greek word hagios. Hallelujah. Hagios. So we are, we are a holy people. That's what saints mean. That's a people who are unique and set apart. Amen and amen. We are unique and set apart. Just as Jesus was uniquely set apart by the power of God demonstrated in the resurrection to be the Son of God, we also as saints have been uniquely set apart by that same power declared as sons of God, just as Jesus is. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we are chosen generation, first, uh, first Peter 2.9. We are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We are a peculiar people. We are not just like, every, listen, you see, Paul says, among whom ye are also the call of Jesus Christ. We look like everybody else on the outside, but we, we are unique in that we are Christ. We are like Christ and we belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. From henceforth, refer to yourself as the call of Jesus. That is why the Bible says, all things work together for good to them that are loved by God and who are the called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. 
We are the called of Jesus Christ. And he says to all that be in Rome, he's referring to the believers. Now look at the description he gives them concerning the believers. He says, first he says, beloved of God. I can spend the whole year on this, this phrase. He calls the saints beloved of God. Called to be saints or called saints. Amen and amen. Beloved of God. Are you aware as a saint of God that you are beloved of him? Listen, the number one thing the believer must know, I always say, is the depth of God's love for him. Many believers don't know that. So they see God as somebody who is out to get them. But in Christ Jesus, you are beloved of God. Saints in faith generation, we are beloved of God. Hallelujah. That means that all of God's love is directed toward us in Christ. First John 3, 1, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be, that the Father had bestowed upon us, that is lavished upon us. And what was the manifestation of this love? That we should be called sons of God. The act of you becoming a son of God was the greatest demonstration of God's love for you. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. If when you were a sinner, he gave his life for you, how much more now that you are saved? Hallelujah. You are beloved of God. And the Bible says that, therefore the world knows us not, in First John 3, 1, because they knew him not. You see it? Sometimes we walk around people, we have the same problems they have, we go through the same thing they go through. So people think that, no, the world doesn't know us just like it did not know Jesus. They saw Jesus as you know a carpenter's son and all that. They did not know who he really was in the spirit. The Bible says, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. You should never see yourself and other, other believers after the flesh. When you see a believer struggling in the natural, maybe you know, poor, doesn't have enough or something like that, don't see the believer after the flesh. See him for who he is in the spirit. Henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. If we have known Christ after the flesh, henceforth, know we him no more. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. The believer is beloved of God. The essence, the main focus of the epistles is that you and I will come to know the depth of the love of God. So the Bible says in Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. The secret to the fullness of God is to know the love of Christ. Where is this love demonstrated? In the giving of a son for us. We are beloved of God. John 16.26-27. Listen to something beautiful said Jesus. Jesus said, at that day, he was talking about when he resurrects. Hallelujah. And we are born again. He says, At that day, ye shall ask nothing, ye shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you love me. And I believe that I came from him. You see, Jesus is saying that I'm not saying I'm going to be praying for you. You ask the Father in my name. I'm not saying I'm going to be praying to the Father for you. No, because the Father loves you. Because you love me. 
Father loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. That is why he made a new and living way for us to come into the Holy of Holies, so that we can have uninterrupted fellowship with him. Nothing stands between you and God anymore. The thing that could stand between you and God has been dealt with. That was sin. The power of sin is in separating you from God. But that power has been crushed. Hallelujah. So it can no longer have that impact in your life anymore. You and God are one forever. He that is joined to Christ is one spirit with him. You can enjoy uninterrupted fellowship with God irrespective of what happens in your life. You are beloved of God. Wake up every morning with that knowledge. I am beloved of God. Hallelujah. How this simple truth will change your outlook, will change your thinking, will change your perspective, will change the way you see things. Hallelujah. You are beloved of God. Why would God bring harm to the one he loves? No. Called to be saints. says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll end here. Brethren, oh, let me close with this. Listen, you are beloved of God. We have been, somebody say, me, I am beloved of God. I am beloved of God. I am beloved of God. Oh, shut up. I say to yourself one more time, I am beloved of God. I am beloved of God. Hallelujah. You know, it, my, your finite mind cannot comprehend the depth of God's love for us. He moved heaven and earth in order for us to have fellowship with him once again. He swore by himself to Abraham in blessing, I'll bless you. Hallelujah. What was that blessing? That through him, the nations of the world will be blessed. What was that blessing? Justification by faith. That's the blessing of Abraham. If God did not love us so, why did he commit himself to that cause? And God is committed to that. You are beloved of God. You think God is going to let you go easily? You think God is going to leave you to become a plaything of the devil? You think God is just going to leave you to be trampled upon? No, you are beloved of God. You are his cherished possession. We are the trophy Christ won on the cross and presented to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He rejoices over us with singing. Let the believer's heart know that. To all that be in Rome, can we say, to all that be in faith generation, beloved of God. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm stirred this evening. Amen and amen. So you see, Paul, in this introduction, is really laying out the template for what he's going to go on to talk about. The message he's going to talk about. And what his focus really is going to be. Amen and amen. So and that is the same thing. As we go on, you know, continue to study in the book of Romans, you would understand. Paul is simply explaining the message of Christ to the Roman church. Hallelujah. So that they may know what God has done in Christ for us. Amen and amen.